This is Bayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Dementia. It's a devastating health condition for patients, their families, and a challenging disease for us as most patients with dementia are managed by primary care providers. Whereas the diagnosis is usually straightforward, the pharmacologic treatment unfortunately has been at best disappointing with little to nothing to offer our patients which would improve their cognitive status our responsibility for their management doesn't end there we still have a responsibility to provide ongoing care to these patients as well as their caregivers as they progress into the later stages of dementia this brings up numerous management challenges including maintaining our patients independence as well as numerous safety and nutrition issues. So this podcast is going to review the management of the patient with later stage dementia. And our guest is Dr. Mairead Bartley, a geriatrician and internist in the Division of Community Medicine at the Mayo Clinic. You're listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Mairead, thank you for joining us today on this really important topic. Hi, Daryl, thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. Well. I'm going to start by asking you to kind of briefly summarize the various stages of dementia so we know what we're talking about here in the rest of this podcast. Absolutely. So I think, first of all, as we use the term dementia, I think it's just important to say that dementia is a term that's used to describe a group of symptoms that affect our memory, our thinking, our social abilities that are interfering with daily life. So it's not a specific disease that we're talking about, but rather several diseases that can cause dementia. And dementia term is often used interchangeably with Alzheimer's disease, which is, of course, the commonest type of dementia. But of course, there can be much overlap across the dementia subtypes. Dementia is a neurodegenerative disorder. So by that, it does progress over time. And over that time, we see people living through different stages of dementia, as you say. There are different ways that we can classify the stages of dementia. Commonly, how we classify the clinical stages of dementia, we talk about people living in mild, moderate, and severe stages, or early, middle, and late stages of dementia. And as people move through the stages of dementia, they experience different symptoms as progression occurs. So for example, somebody with early or mild stage dementia, typically that's when somebody is diagnosed and they're typically presenting, particularly in the case of Alzheimer's disease, presenting with memory concerns and that are now affecting their day-to-day activities. So for example, there may be somebody who always did their checking account, no problem at all. Now they're suddenly having difficulties with balancing the checking account, paying the bills on time. Then as time progresses and those cognitive and memory difficulties progress, people can move into the middle stages or moderate stages of dementia, which is typically the longest stage of life with dementia. And during this time, there is progression of the memory and cognitive abilities. There may be also changes in personality and behaviors that happen during that time. And these changes in personality and behaviors can be quite variable, ranging from depression and mood symptoms to more aggressive symptoms or agitation and paranoia. And during the the middle stages of dementia, because of the cognitive changes that happen, 
there is typically a need for more supervision and some assistance with day-to-day -day tasks. Then in the later stages of dementia or advanced dementia, those needs are much greater. So the cognitive and memory changes that have occurred have progressed. I think we have to always remember that dementia affects more than memory. So it, our, our brain controls our memory, of course, but also our ability to walk, talk, eat, swallow. So as somebody lives with dementia and particularly as somebody progresses to the later stages of dementia, all of those activities day-to-day -day tend to be affected. So for somebody living with advanced dementia, they will typically need assistance with all day-to-day -day activities. Their physical abilities will be affected, so they will need help with transfers, with walking, perhaps assistance with even sitting in an upright position. They will often need assistance with feeding, have difficulties maintaining bowel and bladder continence. And during the later stages of dementia, there's a more vulnerability to infections, falls, and those complications, which we'll talk about later. Okay. As I mentioned, the pharmacologic treatment we have available has been, as I said, disappointing. It, none of the options are intended to improve patients. Most, they can stabilize the disease for a period of time or maybe slow the progression. But could you just review the limited treatment options we do have using medications? Absolutely, Daryl. As you say, the medication options have been disappointing. The medications that we're most familiar with, they've been around for a long time. People will be most familiar with the cholinesterase inhibitors. Of course, the treatments depend on the subtype, and most of these treatments are largely used for Alzheimer's disease, but can be used also in other subtypes of, of dementia. But people will be most familiar with the cholinesterase inhibitors, medications such as denepazil, which is FDA approved for all stages, the mild, moderate, and, and severe stages of dementia. Rivastigmine and galantamine are two other medications in that class. These have modest benefits at best for symptomatic improvement. They are available in oral or transdermal formulations. Typically, if a decision is made to start one of these medications, they're started at a lower dose, titrated up. And I think the key thing is that they should be reevaluated at regular intervals to identify how is somebody doing on them? Are they having any potential side effects? Common side effects that we would see with the cholinesterase inhibitors would be particularly gastrointestinal side effects like um, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, but there's also significant side effects, including potential risk for um, cardiac conduction disorders and sleep disorders. So there's a decision made to start these medications. There should be regular follow-up to see how somebody's doing um, and discussion of, of whether risk benefit of, of whether to continue or not. The other class of medication, of which there's one in that class, is NMDA receptor antagonists with memantine, which is approved for moderate to severe dementia, sometimes used on its own or added to um, a regimen with the cholinesterase inhibitors. Dizziness would be a more common side effect of that medication. One, one question I get often when I'm giving a presentation on dementia is, when should we consider stopping these medications? Is there a time when they're no longer useful? So that's a great question. And I think 
really is when a discussion with the caregiver is really so important and having that shared decision making of is this medication beneficial any longer and i think particularly when people are in those at the advanced stages of dementia the focus should be on medications that help with symptom relief and help with quality of life so i would say frequently for when i'm caring for people with advanced dementia i'm looking at potentially tapering many of these medications if they've been tried. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the specific needs of the patient with advanced stage dementia and what are our responsibilities as healthcare providers for these patients? So for somebody living with advanced dementia, as I said earlier, they will typically need assistance with all day-to-day activities. So they need help with their personal care, with eating, toileting. And of course, with the cognitive decline can come difficulties with communication. So the person may no longer be able to communicate in a way that makes sense to somebody who's trying to communicate with them, or they may have limited words so that their speech may be limited to a small number of words. However, I think With that, it's important to remember that they may still benefit from other means of communication, like listening to relaxing music, for example, for sitting in a calming environment and talking with them, even if they're not able to necessarily communicate back. But as the cognitive decline happens in advanced dementia, physical health also declines. So it is important that we recognize that the person with advanced dementia will need help with transferring with walking around, they may no longer be able to walk around. It may need physical assistance, like for example, with a wheelchair to move around. They may need assistance with seating balance or even holding their head in an upright position. With late stages of dementia, swallowing is typically affected. So there may be a need for adjustments of medications so that medications may need to be crushed like we touched on earlier, reviewing the appropriateness of medications and deciding which ones to continue. Feeding difficulties can occur because of the swallowing difficulties. So people may need assistance with actually being fed, but also to be on a modified diet. So I think it's important to recognize that all of these complications can occur as people uh, progress to the late stages of dementia. One issue that I've come across often when I cared for patients with uh, dementia is some of the abnormal behaviors that occurs with this condition. And as you mentioned, communication becomes a problem. And very often these behaviors are their means of communicating. They can't say, I'm hungry, I'm cold, just like a young baby can't do that. So this communication comes across in various abnormal behaviors, you know, wandering, agitation, sometimes physical abuse, becoming lost. These are very challenging things for caregivers to manage. How do we start to manage this? And maybe you could say a little bit about, unfortunately, the medications that are commonly used, the, you know, the psychotropic medications that are used that um, may actually cause more problems than good. Absolutely, Daryl. So you're absolutely right. The behaviors are definitely one of the most distressing parts of life with dementia for the caregiver and also for the providers often to manage. They're otherwise known as the neuropsychiatric symptoms of dementia. And there's a huge range of behaviors that we see for people with dementia in terms of behaviors that may appear. Often they appear in the middle stages, but then may persist or may wear out as, as people progress through the stages of dementia. As you said, there's many things that can impact on behaviors and these 
can vary from changes in environment, um, medications, adverse effects maybe, or medical reasons that are contributing to the behaviors. So our role as providers first and foremost should be to try and identify possible causes. You mentioned the communication difficulties. And so when I'm hearing about a person who lives with dementia and has a behavior, I'm trying to think about, well, what is that person trying to communicate to us through their behavior? So getting an account of exactly what's going on in the situation, you know, what and when is that behavior happening can be really helpful to try and identify what could be the potential trigger for the behavior. And certainly we prefer non-medication options, first of all, to try and manage behaviors. So things like checking on the person's comfort levels, or are they thirsty, are they hungry, or could they potentially be in pain? Are they having difficulties with constipation, for example? But if there's a behavior that is particularly threatening to the person's own safety and also to the safety of the caregivers, then as you say, there may be a role for medication. We always try to de-escalate the situation before we go to, to medication. And we know that now because of all those adverse effects that you alluded to there. So first of all, in those situations, we try to avoid confrontation, redirect, try and make sure the environment is as calm as possible, and to try, if at all possible, to de-escalate the situation. But in some situations, we do use medications Typically, the medication choice will depend on the acuity of the situation and if there's a, a particular safety issue that needs more immediate attention. So for some of the agitated and paranoid behaviors, hallucinations, maybe threatening behaviors, where the situation is escalating despite all those attempts to de-escalate, we may use medications like antipsychotic medications and typically favoring the newer generation antipsychotic medications. But if there's a, a decision made to start an antipsychotic medication, I can't stress enough that that should be done in conjunction with the caregiver or healthcare proxy because these medications, they have side effects, including quite significant cardiac side effects, including risk of death with these medications. So the risk-benefit decision should be discussed with the caregiver. Any medication that's started should be started at the lowest effective dose, titrated up slowly to the lowest effective dose that's going to manage the situation, and then reviewed at regular intervals so that dose can be reduced and tapered, ideally to a stop if that's possible. For some of the other behaviors like mood symptoms, irritability, anxiety, we may decide to use medications such as antidepressant medications. Again, reviewing how helpful these are at regular intervals and seeing if there's any options to start to taper the medications. Yeah, I, I think we could spend easily a couple hours talking about the behavior of dementia patients and their management, but I have found that that's probably the most common reason for a patient needing institutionalization in a long-term care facility. Can you review some of the reasons why a patient would need institutionalization? So eventually, for many patients that live with dementia, there will come a time where they need a change in their living situation. And for many people with advanced dementia, as you say, that means living in a skilled nursing facility or a memory care facility. And typically, the reason for that will really be dictated by what is their current living situation and what is the level of care that can be provided in that current living situation. So as somebody 
progresses through the stages of dementia and their physical care needs increase, the caregiver at home may no longer be able to provide that level of care. So, so from a physical care need perspective, they may need to move to a higher level of care, like a memory care facility or a skilled nursing facility or um, assisted living facility. If, as you say, if the behaviors become particularly problematic and are difficult to manage at home, that is another reason for institutionalization in a skilled nursing facility or memory care facility. Other safety issues that often lead to a move would be falls, so where people are having frequent falls at home. And unfortunately, often it's an acute event that precipitates that move to a skilled nursing facility. For example, a fall with a significant injury, like a fracture that may be required a hospitalization that will ultimately often lead to a move to a higher level of care. I have been amazed many times by the degree of competence and care that family members give their loved ones who have dementia. Certainly patients don't want to go into a nursing facility. Families don't want them to go into a nursing facility, but uh, unfortunately sometimes that has to happen. We have our responsibility to our patients, but we also have a responsibility to the caregivers because if we lose a caregiver, the patient no longer can live independently, at least in, the, in their own home. Can you talk about our responsibility to the caregivers as well as the patient? Absolutely. So the needs of the caregiver are huge and that can't be overstated. We know that for most of the care that's provided for our patients who live with dementia, it's that, and I don't really like the term personally, it's that what they call informal care or unpaid caregiving from family members and, and from loved ones. And it's a hugely physically and psychologically demanding task. And every day I learn so much from the caregivers of people with dementia and, you know, learning from them of what they do every day for, for their loved one. It's truly amazing. I think as providers, our responsibility, first of all, I think, is to actually make the diagnosis of dementia. And we really could do better on that. I think if once people get a diagnosis of dementia, it's a difficult diagnosis, of course, to deliver. But that name and just naming the diagnosis can help so much with future care planning, with access to resources. So I think first of all, as providers, that should be one of our priorities. If we've seen somebody with a cognitive disorder, working it up and evaluating and get, giving a diagnosis of dementia if that's appropriate. I think second of all, our responsibility should be giving information and not overwhelming people with information, but giving the caregivers information of what lies ahead. What is the trajectory of dementia, particularly as people live with advanced dementia? Because we know there are inevitable things that happen with the declining physical and cognitive health as we reviewed. So helping people prepare as best we can for what lies ahead, and then planning for the future to how to react to the, the different situations as they may arise. I think that's certainly very important as providers to do that. I think the other thing that's important is that when I talk to my caregivers, I mean, they want the practical help. They want the practical information. So information certainly of what lies ahead, but then information on the practical pieces of how to problem solve. So if my loved one will not get in the shower today and I want to give them a shower, how am I going to try and manage the situation at home? So trying to give them some strategies to help distract, de-escalate those situations as they may arise. And then 
practical information about how can I access resources for adult daycare, for respite care in my locality. Because we know that caregivers, their own health takes second place. And as you said, Daryl, if, if the caregivers for whatever reason can no longer provide care, then the whole situation collapses. So we really need to try and ask them how they're doing, just that simple question and seeing how can we help them look after their own health, both physical, spiritual health, um, as they care for someone with dementia. Yeah. And Maureen, I have found that there are caregiver issues that can be addressed before the patient becomes later stage, which will help in the management their later stage, such things as when they should stop driving, environmental safety, are there stairs in their home? Is there any way to put the bedroom on the main floor so they don't have to go up and down stairs? Advanced directives, what does the patient want or what does the family want for the patient? And try to get them to come to an agreement without having to deal with this on a Saturday night, midnight, when there's issues going on. So there's a lot of things that are related to caregivers that can help in the later stages. Well, Marie, we've covered some very important topics. Can you give maybe two or three key points which uh, summarizes our discussion on the management of the advanced dementia patient? A couple of things that come to mind. First of all, communication. So as providers, we need to talk with the caregivers and the patient where possible, of course, but to talk to people about the disease trajectory and particularly as they're living with advanced dementia, preparing people as best we can for what may lie ahead. I think that advanced care planning should be the cornerstone of care for people with advanced dementia. And of course, ideally, that should be done as early on as possible, you know, preparing people for the future. But I think it's essential as providers that we address advanced care planning regularly as we care for somebody with dementia, identifying what are the priorities for their care. As you said, the Saturday night situation, when something happens, how are we going to plan and what are we going to do in those situations so that we can help direct the care and help people live as well as they can with their advanced dementia? You know, while we certainly can't reverse the situation, as you said, there are things we can do to help with symptom management and support the caregiver and help people really live as as well as they possibly can with this advanced illness. We've been discussing the management of the patient with later stage dementia with Dr. Mairead Bartley, a geriatrician at the Mayo Clinic. Mairead, this has been a fantastic discussion. I'd love to have you back and uh, touch on some of these subjects in greater detail. Thank you for having me, Daryl. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.